This is Laura Deirdre with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Joel Klein, Senior Vice President and CIO of the University of Maryland Medical System. Joel, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. Now, I know we've got a lot to talk about. There's so much happening in healthcare and, and things are changing quickly. But before we dive into my questions, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your background? Sure. So I'm actually an emergency physician by training. Um, I went to med school back in Dallas, my hometown, and came up to Baltimore uh, and trained at Johns Hopkins in their residency program and was then hired uh, as the night guy at one of the hospitals that eventually joined the medical system where I work now. Um, I was elected uh, to run the emergency medicine group there, so a single hospital group and started getting into all of the back-end data that was necessary to figure out the right compensation for my partners, which led me to meet all the people in IT. And then uh, back in 2010, we started putting Epic in. Um, we had already put it in uh, a small uh, rehabilitation hospital, uh, but this was our first community general purpose hospital that uh, was gonna get Epic. And I helped lead that deployment, which led to the next deployment and so on and so on. Um, I joined the IT leadership team, I think back in 2016, and then became our deputy CIO and our CIO about four years ago. So it's been a, a gradual a career transition. It's been incredibly rewarding, and I'm incredibly lucky to work for such an amazing place. This is outstanding and really seems like having that foundation in medicine and healthcare um, can be a real advantage and tool when you're going through the technology side of things now. And working to make sure that the IT and tech side is really complementary to the overall health system's mission of caring for patients. Yeah, so I think that uh, any senior leader has their journey and the route that journey takes helps shape how they think about the problems uh, that they face in, in their leadership role. So certainly as I think about the clinical parts of our IT environment, I have a pretty good understanding of what our end users are experiencing and you know, the challenges they have getting through their day-to-day, -day, whether, you know, it's a nurse or a, a fellow uh, provider or really any clinician in the hospital, I, I, I know what that's like. Um, and so, you know, that means my blind spot, uh, if, if, uh, if I could describe it that way, is that I didn't grow up, you know, in a technical world or in, you know, for example, some of the business parts of our, our world, like supply chain, for example. And so that just means I have to work extra hard to educate myself in those areas. It means that our team has to be strong enough to support my lack of, you know, personal um, experience in those areas. But I think that's true of every CIO. There's lots of CIOs that grew up in the tech space that, that you know, never worked in a hospital or never, you know, had business responsibility for, you know, the revenue cycle. And again, what we all do is we, we bring something that makes the soup what it is. And you just have to recognize um, what your strengths are and then fill in those gaps accordingly. That's a great perspective. It really makes a lot of sense. Now, when you look at where you're at today, what opportunities and headwinds do you have your eye on right now? Well, I think our health system is no different than every other health system in the country. We are looking at the economic uh, picture right now, which is daunting to say the least. You know, inflation uh, affects wages, inflation affects um, all of the products and services that we have to contract for, um, and it's, it's tough right now. There's obviously a national conversation about healthcare reimbursement, 
whether it makes sense, how we compare to other countries, what those outcomes look like. Um, and, you know, we're certainly part of that conversation as uh, the largest uh, nonprofit employer. I think the, uh, you might be the largest private employer in Maryland. We're certainly one of the biggest health systems uh, in our area. Um, but, uh, but that's very much on our mind. So whether we're talking about the premium labor situation that came out of COVID, uh, or the shortage of drugs as you know, a result of lots of interacting economic factors. Um, I think we're facing a lot of the same things that a lot of our uh, fellow healthcare systems across the country are. Maryland is a little bit of a unique situation because we have a special waiver from CMS that essentially flattens payment based on the payer mix of every individual hospital. So for example, a hospital located in downtown Baltimore, where, for example, the self-pay fraction is much, much higher than in the suburbs of D.C., the reimbursement on a per capita or per patient basis is much, much higher than it would be, for example, for a suburban hospital. And so that waiver, which you know is called the Maryland experiment by some people, um, is pretty complicated, and uh, operating within that environment is a, is a huge uh, part of uh, what our organization and other Maryland organizations is thinking about right now and trying to figure out if that is really an extensible model for care across the country. Um, I think that, um, you know, there's a lot of very specific things that we are focused on uh, that go beyond cost containment. So, for example, mental health and access to mental health care. If you go to any emergency department in the country, you will see lots of mental health patients who are looking for um, a bed in a acute care facility that that you know that needs to care for them because of their crisis, and when you add in you know the opiate crisis, when you add in um, access to care uh, more generally, um, you know again these are not unique to my organization. These are things that all of us in the industry are are focused on. Um, and then I guess I would say, um, you know, what's our ultimate goal as as an organization? You know, it's it's clearly the health and well-being of our community, but how do we think about that? How sustainable is, uh, you know, is what we're doing? Um, and, and you know, what should, what should care look like? How does it compare again to other countries? Um, what decisions do they make? Again, these are, these are really tough questions. Um, and you might think, well, what has that got to do with IT? But, you know, it's all connected. And um, I consider myself, you know, part of our larger organization's leadership team. And so while I certainly am responsible for the technology, I, I certainly try to contribute as much as I can to the bigger conversation about how all of these things fit together. So it's a busy time, it's an exciting time, but it's a pretty challenging time right now. That's a really great point. And I, I love the way that you melded some of the larger issues in healthcare as your top priorities and concerns, because I can imagine even as an IT leader, the technology touches so much of the other areas of healthcare and the other uh, departments of the health system, whether it's, you know, transitioning to connecting with more people outside of the hospital or, or really just finding ways to leverage technology uh, to be more efficient and um, help with some of the gaps and the shortages that you have in other areas. Um, I can imagine that it's just really helpful to think through that lens and find solutions um, from an IT perspective as well. Yeah, so, I mean, you can start at one end of the acuity spectrum. So, for example, our intensive care units. And you say, well, you know, on a, on a per-day basis, this is the craziest place of all, right? This is where the most money gets spent. It's where the most resources 
um, are utilized, then what can we do about that situation? I mean, there's a, a whole conversation about what's appropriate and what are the goals of care for an individual patient. But then there's, you know, really basic stuff like checklists. You know, are we taking every patient every day and thinking about their diet? Are we thinking about turning them? Are we thinking about mobilizing them? Are we having a structured approach to sedation, you know, weaning or sedation vacations? Are we weaning people off of ventilators in a consistent way? I mean, these are all, they sound like obvious things. Um, one of the things that I am really proud of is we've got a, a team of innovative people um, in our organization that has really worked on stuff like that. And it's a great opportunity for IT to influence what's going on at the bedside. So that's the hyper acute, you know, highly intensive care, um, so to speak, part of our organization. But then you, you dial it all the way back out to health and wellness. How do you talk about obesity? How do you talk about smoking? How do you talk about vaccinations, whether that's COVID or flu shots, uh, to a community that, that you know, with good reason, um, doesn't have great trust with their healthcare community. And again, what does IT have to do with that? Well, it's identifying at-risk populations. It's figuring out how to reach out to them. It's figuring out how to make those connections really easy for patients when they are at that state of change uh, or stage of change uh, to, to reach out and, and make that appointment or make that phone call. So it's, it, it's easy to think, well, that doesn't have anything to do with IT, but it, it feels like everything has everything to do with IT. Absolutely. That's a really fantastic point. I love it. Um, so along those lines, when you think about growing or adding value to the organization, how, how do you see that happening and where do you really plan on doubling down to make sure that there's continued growth and investment in that, those areas? Sure. So our healthcare organization is like a lot of others in that we have grown through acquisition. And so that means that, you know, a new a hospital, a new member organization will join our family and we will inherit a lot of uh, technology and platforms that is pretty different than our system standards. And so the, the first thing I can do is promote a well-chosen set of system standards and get us all on those standards. And so whether we're talking about large capital investments like cardiology systems, like the cath lab or echocardiography, um, or, you know, obviously there's the, the simple example, like, you know, our electronic medical record system. Um, but, you know, whether it's our ERP, whether it's our time and attendance system, um, all, everything is, is up for consolidation. And so really making sure that we are maximizing that wherever possible, using our purchasing power, using the brain, the collective brain power uh, to make good system choices. Um, those are all things that, that we can help facilitate in IT. So that's a, that's a big one. And then I think there's a lot of attention right now on staffing. Um, how can we staff more flexibly, more intelligently? How can we make sure that we have the right people in the right shift at the right time? Uh, there's obviously a lot that technology has to do with that. I think that one of the other things we're focused on is the experience of our staff in our buildings. So we know that recruiting nurses is really hard as an example, but just as important is retaining those nurses once we've, um, you know, we've welcomed them into our family. And so that means I need to give them a good experience when they're sitting down for the three hours of, out of their 12 hour shift that they're typing into some computer system. I need to make sure 
that I'm pushing our teams, uh, not just the IT teams, but the, our governance um, groups to make things as streamlined as possible. Can we get rid of some of these clicks? Can we get rid of some of these drop-down menus? Because, you know, again, it's the, it's the paper cuts, it's the splinters that drive people crazy. And, you know, it sounds, uh, uh, you know, maybe a little removed from, you know, a decision a, a nurse might make to, to move on, but that's not true. Everything adds up and everything I can do to get one more knot of boat speed uh, for people um, to remain excited about staying in our family and empowering them to help make decisions by including them in these kinds of decision-making processes, those are all things that, you know, all ways that we can contribute in IT to that retention issue. So those, those are some of the biggest things. That's such a great point and really is fascinating to think about all the little ways that IT can make a big difference for the healthcare providers, especially as I know uh, burnout in, in, is still very, very common among uh, nurses and doctors and other staff members at hospitals and health systems. So I know it's a top priority from a lot of executives and organizations to really support their teams in many different ways. And I appreciate you going through that with us. Now, I'm wondering too, if you could talk about if there was potentially one risk or investment that's worth making this year. I know that uh, healthcare dollars are precious. And so thinking through what time, energy, and where to put your efforts, what are, are some of those uh, risks or investments you're really thinking about uh, making in the next few months or so? Well, I think there's a lot of ways of, of thinking about investment and risk. Certainly, our time and our energy and our organizational attention are probably some of the most important um, investments that we can make right now. I mean, yeah, there's there's capital dollars and there's you know FTE decisions and all that, but really, in my mind, the most important question is, what do you want to work on? What do you want to focus on? And so. You know, we talked a little bit about the value of consolidation and the power that comes in having a well thought out platform. That's just as true in my mind for many of our shared services. So one of the journeys that we're on right now is consolidating our clinical engineering teams across the organization into one big team. And you know, that that service sits adjacent to me in our organizational structure, but I've been watching that group coalesce. And I think the opportunity is huge. I mean, think about all the equipment in the organization and who fixes it, right? If we have a team of people that can actually uh, be on staff to fix this stuff rather than constantly relying on vendors to do it, um, if we can um, move equipment around from place to place, if we can have one standard set of things like IV pumps or ventilators or, you know, what have you, it's, it's the same economy of scale that we already know exists in the IT space. So I think, you know, overcoming the political headwind that uh, you're always going to have when you consolidate services, particularly in healthcare, and saying, you know what, the earth is not going to crash into the sun if you do this. Um, uh, lots of places have done it, and it works really, really well. It doesn't mean you have to furlough people. It doesn't mean that, you know, people are going to get left behind necessarily. Um, you you want to be thoughtful about that. But it does mean that you'll end up with a much stronger, uh, you know, team of people to support the work that your clinicians are doing. So I think that's one kind of risk that I would really say organizations need to think carefully about. And um, if it makes sense, you know, maybe maybe put that put that pinky toe in the water and, and start getting into it more. And then I'd say another risk that that we are thinking about as an organization is actually around health equity. So 
you know, our whole society has gotten, thankfully, more conscious of the vast inequities that exist in all aspects of, you know, of our society and, and certainly in our industry. Health disequity is a huge issue, whether we're talking about, you know, C-section rates or pain management or access to, you know, certain procedures or access to care at all. And so, you know, I think organizations that are willing to be self-reflective and honest about their own path, where they are, and to start to say, all right, well, what are we going to do about this? You know, are we going to start showing our own providers what their um, what their care patterns look like um, on, on any you know dimension? You've got to start with some kind of an assessment and decide again where do you want to spend your time and attention. But you know, this is something that ten years from now you're going to look back as an organization and say, you know what, this was the right thing to do for our community. It was the right thing to do cosmically. And uh, you know, I, again, it's easy for something like this to get lost in the economic situation we're all in right now. Um, but whether it's making sure that, you know, pulse oximeters are calibrated for people of all skin colors, or we are being structured about how we risk assess people or use um, artificial intelligence tools um, that have the equity issues thought through carefully. I, I think, you know, it's clear that, that these, are, these are investments that organizations really need to make right now. Uh, and that will pay off in the long run. That's so helpful to know and think about. I, I love your focus on some different areas and new ways, whether it's the consolidation to really truly think through, you know, what the ramifications will be and then understanding it can really make a lot of sense. And then the health equity side of it, I know that is something a lot of organizations and communities definitely need and, and really going about it in the right way makes all the difference in the world. Uh, and, and along those lines, before we wrap up our conversation, I was wondering, could you talk a little bit about where you see some of the best opportunities for growth and development in the future? Sure. So, you know, there's, there's lots of things to talk about there, but I'll just, you know, maybe pick on one area, which uh, is length of stay. So, because that's the shortest path to thinking about capacity in our organization. And, you know, there's, there's always going to be illness. There's always going to be disease. There's always going to be people who need health care. The challenge we have is how do we make sure that we have enough capacity to absorb those patients who come to us uh, looking for help with their problem? And so, you know, that turns on how quickly can I take a patient who needs to be hospitalized and get them to a lower level and intensity of care that is still safe for them um, while allowing me to turn my attention to someone who, you know, for example, is out in the waiting room of an emergency department. And so one, one thing that we've been thinking about is something that we've, you know, started to call the for the want of a nail problem. So if you walk through any hospital in the country right now, right, so you walk through a 500-bed hospital, say, I'll bet you that we could find 10 people right now who could just go home or go, you know, to a, a SNF or go to, to somewhere not that hospital. Probably more than that, but 10 would be a wildly conservative number. So the question is, how do we find those 10 people and how do we find the one thing, the want of a nail, right? How do we find this, this single phone call, the single arrangement that we need to make to get these folks out of that acute care setting to make room for someone who really needs those resources? 
And so that sounds like a, well, yeah, that sounds straightforward. Why don't you just go do it? Well, you know, it's more complicated than that. And, um, you know, some of it has to do with how, how do you organize your day? If I'm a hospitalist and I start on the top floor and I, I see all those patients and then I go down one floor, you know, via the stairwell and I see all those patients. I mean, that's how I used to round when I was, you know, doing inpatient medicine back in residency. And I, I think that's how a lot of people still do it because it, it looks like the most efficient way for you. But that's not necessarily what's best for, you know, the population of all the patients in the hospital. And so it's thinking about things like that that could potentially blow open the barriers to getting people out the door, start thinking about how we could really move length of stay, um, you know, whether we're talking about the weekends, whether we're talking about evenings, um, lots and lots of opportunity here. I love it. This has been an amazing conversation, Joel. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. I really appreciate it, and I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Anytime. Thanks so much for having me.